this week on Political Research Digest, how gun ownership is polarizing our public and dividing our states on gun policy. For the Niskanen Center, I'm Matt Grossman. After every mass shooting, partisans retreat to their respective corners on gun control. The National Rifle Association and the gun owners it represents are critical forces in our politics, but they may be winning only with Republican voters and in Republican states. A new article, Emerging Political Identities, Gun Ownership, and Voting in Presidential Elections, published in Social Science Quarterly, finds that gun owners and non-gun owners are increasingly divided in voting. I talked to Mark Jocelyn of the University of Kansas about gun culture and Republican partisanship. He co-authored with Donald Haydermarkle, Michael Baggs, and Andrew Bilbo. It might look like nothing is happening on gun policy, but that ignores a lot of recent actions in the states. I also talked to Jay Barth of Hendricks College about a new study he co-authored in Social Science Quarterly with Gary Reich called Planting in Fertile Soil, the NRA and State Firearms Legislation. It argues that states are moving in opposite directions on gun policy, following their ideologies, the boom in gun sales under President Obama, and the NRA's political spending. Political scientists traditionally argue that gun control is the classic case of an intense minority repeatedly winning over an apathetic majority. Mark Jocelyn says that might be right, but there has been significant partisan change since the 1970s, with gun owners and non-gun owners moving to their respective partisan homes. Gun owners are far more likely to vote Republican than non-gun owners, and that although that may, may sound quite obvious, the research there is no research on that before, and so we've been able to show that, and also that the difference between gun owners and non-gun owners in terms of probability of voting Republican has increased over time. The spread is quite uh, significant, uh, so. It's we looked at from 1970s until uh, 2012 election, and that, that spread between gun owners and non-gun owners and their likelihood of voting Republican has increased. They found gun ownership had an independent effect on presidential voting, though some of its impact had already been incorporated into American partisan and ideological identities. It tracks very closely with the, the polarization we see in um, partisanship. In fact, the graphic we have in the, in the article looks a lot like the split in Democrat and Republicans across the years. So it, it is in part um, incorporated already. Um, guns is certainly a partisan issue, ideological one as well. And to that extent, the bivariate relationship doesn't give us a lot um, and because just by itself it could be tracking you know, one's party identification as opposed to one's um, gun ownership. In fact, if you look at gun ownership over time, um, since the 1970s, Republicans have generally remained about constant in terms of the proportion of Republicans owning guns, whereas independents and Democrats have declined significantly. Jocelyn says gun culture is real, but there may also be a rise in anti-gun culture. You can think of non-gun owners' identity and opposition to gun owners in particular. Opposed to guns, there's some fairly obvious uh, groups that are opposed to Democrats, urban uh, individuals, females, liberals, African Americans are very much opposed in terms of uh, gun ownership, uh, or at least um, want more regulation on that. And they see guns as a neglect of safety, uh, as a power uh, item, uh, maybe an item of inequality. And these values together can combine and provide a, gun, a non-gun owner identity in juxtaposition to what gun owners feel. 
And what we found in the data is that a large part of the gap in terms of voting for Republican is really on the non-gun owner's side. Uh, gun owners represent about a third of the population, so non-gun owners would be the rest. Uh, and we don't think it's as cohesive, but nonetheless, after mass shootings, after big gun events, you can definitely see the division. And there might be, in fact, identity in terms of your opposition to gun owners. The NRA is an important force in driving gun politics and culture. The NRA is a big part of the cause of the identity for gun owners. Um, although most gun owners are not members of the NRA, uh, but nonetheless, there is a large, powerful interest group that represents gun owners and represents uh, in an extreme way, uh, but often some of the values that the gun owners uh, believe in. And so they have a voice, a larger cultural voice out there. Uh, and so we think that that's a very important institution, an increasingly powerful one that that uh, fortifies and reinforces the um, value structure that we see as an identity for gun owners. Since both sides see themselves as representing safety, mass shootings don't move the debate forward. So it's clearly a partisan issue. People are dug in for certain on this. And there's a lot of finger pointing both ways. And it's just amazing to us how, how far apart people are on this when gun owners, many of them anyway, really do see guns and um, gun ownership and um, support of gun policies uh, as safety. They do not see it in another way. Like in, in opposition, the, the, uh, the opposition to guns see it as just the opposite, that um, guns represent uh, a neglect of safety and are actually dangerous items. So I don't see how they could be farther apart. And the concealed carry laws only widen um, some of these issues and, and drive a wedge between people. But in other research, Jocelyn does find some evidence that the partisan identity of the shooter might matter. A Republican was shot, a Republican legislator was shot. What we saw there was a little bit of a change depending who the target is, at least at the level of a politician. The mass public changes a little bit in terms of their notion of what was the cause and what can be done. Generally, Democrats suggest the causes are systemic, and therefore policy should occur. Republicans tend to default to the causes of mass shooting are individualized. Crazy person, uh, it's an individual problem, and therefore we don't have a real policy response that would be uh, likely in that case. When the Republican was shot this summer, you saw many more Republicans uh, at the mass level pointing to systemic problems. And Jocelyn says mass shootings may cause state policy change, even if federal policy is stagnant. Where mass shootings occur, the, the local and regional area, there are movements toward reform of, of gun policies, and um, particularly in legislators, legislative bodies that are controlled by Democrats in states that have gun, mass gun shootings. So in that sense, federalism is responding. Uh, although Washington, D.C. is not, the local governments and state governments do respond. I also spoke to Jay Barth, who's been researching the rash of gun policy changes in the U.S. states. I think so much attention over the years has been given to the battle over, over gun policy at the federal level, and in particular the NRA's engagement at that at that level. 
But uh, I think we know that uh, over the last few years, especially a period of real inaction at the federal level, there has been a huge proliferation of activity at the state level. And, and so I think that, you know, we turn our attention to that area. Uh, and I think that's an important first step. And, of course, what we find is um, a somewhat complicated uh, picture in that while most of the legislation at the state level has been in a direction that has really liberalized policy that has made guns more accessible, uh, we do have some uh, states where uh, most of the activity has been more, more in a gun control uh, direction. Um, and so we tried to ask the question, well, why does that pattern show itself? What, what separates uh, those states that have become uh, very uh, uh, liberal with their gun laws over the, uh, the last number of years from those that really uh, have headed in a, in a different direction? The NRA's actions in the states have been making a difference. Even controlling for ideology of the legislature and controlling for a variety of other factors, it is also the fact that it is those places where the NRA spends money combined with a lot of angst in uh, the among the citizenry about the possibility of federal activism as shown by upticks in gun sales uh, around the two uh, elections of President Obama. It's that combination that really has uh, additional power in explaining uh, the wins and losses on liberalizing gun policy. But the NRA has only been successful in states that also had surges in gun sales surrounding Obama's elections. If there's backlash without the NRA's engagement in the form of uh, spending, uh, the creation of a, a network and really getting the messaging out, then it doesn't really seem to have a particular uh, bang with the legislature. Uh, and vice versa. The NRA spends money in a place where there's really not much appetite in the citizenry for, for change, um, then, then that's not particularly uh, money well spent. Barth says the conventional story of the NRA only blocking change isn't true in the states. Conventionalism at the federal level is quite right. I mean, I think that we really don't, uh, uh, don't examine uh, or, or, or return to that story, but I think unquestionably the NRA has uh, influence in stopping even the most minimal, you know, gun regulation at the federal level, and that is defensive play. I think we also there's some indication that that in certain states the NRA has to play defense uh, as well at the state level. But the one area where they really have some places where they can be on offense is um, is at the is at the state level in certain states. Those states that have those contexts that really. Uh, are favorable to them. And um, and it's also very clear that the NRA has um, been very conscious about selecting you know certain battles in certain states that they think are really going to send some strong signals nationally. And the NRA doesn't need many resources because they have committed activists. I mean, they can they can do this on the on the chief in a lot of ways. I mean, um, this is uh, and because a lot of this is, I think especially when it's done via social media and social networking, um, you know that can be that can that's pretty cheap. You know that's a that's a viral video created uh, that never really has to be um, you know aired uh, on a on commercial television. It can really all be spread uh, via uh, via the web. And I think that that these can be pretty uh, affordably done uh, things. Uh, you know what we see is that the NRA has um, has cut back um, on. 
uh, direct contributions to candidates for the most part uh, in the state. Uh, it's really just some additional resources that go to, to creating and maintaining these, uh, uh, these networks of activists. Obama's two elections not only stimulated gun sales booms, but also new legislation to liberalize gun laws in some states and to increase restrictions in others. But increasing access and the right to carry was the dominant trend. Barth says it was the perceived threat of federal action. We found some circumstantial uh, evidence for, for it being about uh, Lee actions to him as a, a person, but you know, we, we could never you know, find the, uh, the real clear d- direct evidence. What we found was clearly his victories did create, provoke a, a good deal of fear on the part of those folks who, who uh, care deeply about maintaining um, and enhancing gun freedom. And so that, uh, I think it's really more about the, uh, what we can find some more evidence of is kind of fear of the policy direction uh, that the country was going to head under Obama rather than fear of the president uh, himself and what he, what he might do uh, in his attitudes about guns. As a result, we're a polarized nation with very different gun laws by state. You know, it's an area where we see... Um, Kind of um, you know federalism at work in terms of um, um, uh, these state states uh, and their citizens really being in very different places in attitudes about this this area of policy and you know whether that's about whether that's about the sorting of of citizens into different states or uh, cultural uh, norms that have really been handed down around time. I mean we really are um, you know two different Americas when it comes to um, when it comes to, to gun policy, and um, you know, there, to some degree, um, state lines uh, correlate with some of that, that division that we see. Jocelyn sees no signs that things will be changing anytime soon. Immediately after the shootings, both sides go into their particular corners, and the rhetoric is very familiar, and so congressional response is very familiar. So I, I don't think we've learned anything new per se. Barth says it's too early to say whether efforts by Mike Bloomberg and others can match the NRA. Money and, and a, a network of activists um, are the great combination. And where are the places where there are going to be significant numbers of, um, of gun control activists who can really create the personal dynamic uh, advocating for, uh, for gun control? That's more challenging for gun control um, activists because... Um, you know, there's just not that many places outside of the, the most urbane uh, parts of America where that's really going to be the case. For Barth, the biggest remaining question is how much gun politics are intertwined with the politics of race. I think there is a very interesting and important area of inquiry around interplay of 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 race and attitudes about guns, because even though um, uh, even though the president. Uh, is no longer an African American. We still do seem to have um, uh, an aura of race that really does surround uh, this this whole issue. Uh, you know, we've we've certainly seen different reactions uh, by the NRA to uh, to different uh, different shootings uh, based on on race of the victim. Um, I think we've also um, you know seen uh, white and black Americans respond very differently. Uh, to to these issues, so I do think that there is a um, still a lot of work to be done uh, in better understanding uh, the the interplay of of race.
Jocelyn says there's lots of questions remaining unanswered, but he suspects gun ownership has wide implications for American politics. There are many other possible items that guns would matter for, not just like, for example, we've uh, our next piece of research coming out is going to show that uh, gun owners are just far more likely to vote than non-gun owners. And there's just a multitude of possibilities because guns are commitment to a particular, uh, not just item, but a set of values that make a big difference politically, both in their behavior and their attitudes. Thanks for listening. Political Research Digest is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. Thanks to Mark Jocelyn and Jay Barth for joining me. To learn more, you can read the studies at niskanencenter.org. Join us next time to find out whether multiracial coalitions of African Americans, Latinos, and Asians can succeed in building effective minority representation.